Welcome to Financial R&R, a show dedicated to financial insurance and risk management solutions and trends shaping the market today. Here are your hosts, Ron Boris and Ryan Farnsworth. Welcome everyone to the latest uh, series of podcasts uh, coming from the financial institutions and professional liability team at Alliant. I'm Ron Boris, and, and with me today is uh, a series uh, of folks, subject matter experts, uh, Bobby Horn, John Loftus, David Finns, Ryan Farnsworth, and Steve Chappelle. As we are looking to wrap up the year of, of 2020 and, and start to think about 2021, the focus continues to be on the market and the various uh, sort of nuances and challenges that the market is going to present. Uh, today, we wanna talk a little bit about cyber liability. Uh, we're obviously hearing that going into the new year, uh, cyber can be a, a particular area of concern, um, tremendous uh, activity. Uh, going on uh, in 2020, David, you've been with us for for two weeks now, and um, in, in in two weeks we've already uh, figured a way to get you involved with a, a large, high-profile client uh, in a ransomware event. So, so good to see that you're already sort of up and running and 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 getting actively involved in solving problems for clients. But you know, Bobby, maybe we can start with with you. Uh, you know, looking at at sort of 2020, you know, starting to answer the questions about price, about coverage, about markets. What are your thoughts? How are you advising clients relative to to cyber budgets and sort of what to expect? We're trying to get ahead of it. Obviously, the the last six months have kind of turned the, the cyber market has kind of turned on its head a bit. Where we're seeing, you know, underwriters not only cutting limits but increasing retentions and increasing rates. So really trying to get out ahead of that with our clients, letting them know what what we're seeing in the marketplace, what they can expect going forward not only from a pricing and, and retention and limit standpoint, but also from a, an underwriting perspective and what the carriers are looking for uh, as they really focus on certain controls that uh, that seem to be the, the cause of a lot of these ransomware attacks. Along with the renewal applications or even new business applications, we're, we're including separate ransomware applications uh, that are attached to the, to the applications because, again, they're really focusing on, on certain controls that uh, uh, if they aren't in place, you know, higher likely that they're going to be uh, hit with a ransomware attack. So I uh, really just want to make sure that we're getting in front of it, uh, making sure they know what's what's on the horizon uh, and, you know, putting them in the best position with the markets when we present the, their renewal. Well, thanks for that, Bobby. I, I think, you, you know, um, certainly, you know, that process is going to continue to be complex and, and underwriters are going to want information uh, relative to uh, various exposures that they're trying to get their arms around. I mean, David, in, in your your first two weeks here, you're already involved in a complex cyber claim. You know, Steve has already kind of gotten a flavor for kind of some of the things that we're sort of working with relative to the cyber claims world. Is there real concern, or is this something that underwriters are just using as a way to to try to drive the market? Well, it is a significant concern. I think that the question is, if you are a company seeking cyber insurance, can you differentiate yourself? from your peers such that the underwriters understand that you have taken appropriate measures and you know there are specific things that you can do to not only shore up your security but also present yourself as a good risk and you know time doesn't permit us to go through all of those here but some examples of things that companies should be doing are running it security scans training their employees around how to spot phishing uh, emails that could be used to compromise the system, uh, decredentialing former employees and, you know, limiting admin controls. So these are things that can be done by companies so that they are minimizing the likelihood that they will experience an attack 
And then in the event that they do have a ransomware event, there are specific things that they should be doing to interact with their carrier and with the service providers that will be attending to the response to that incident in order to make sure that they maximize their recovery uh, from their policy. Yeah, listen, I, I think differentiation is, um, is an important sort of term, and, and we hear that a lot. Even as of this week, we were having conversations with some clients who were who are hearing some things out in the marketplace about what to expect for, for next year. And, you know, listen, John, since you've been here, you, you've gotten an opportunity to work with a lot of large existing and new clients. And, and I think you've um, had certainly uh, experienced firsthand being actually able to differentiate uh, clients. For those who kind of look at it and say, is that just someone, something somebody's saying to me, or is that really possible? Maybe you can talk a little bit about, you know, to, to David's point, how on the brokerage side, you and Bobby and, and Ryan and other folks are, are out there differentiating clients and really sort of, you know, showing their risk profile versus other concerns and considerations uh, amongst the underwriters. Sure. Yeah. And, and to your point, Ron, I think as challenging as the market may be, uh, this is an outstanding opportunity for us to, to demonstrate the value and partnership that a, a broker can bring to the table for a client. So we're embracing it. And I think it starts with uh, the, the communication, as Bobby said, with our client, giving them um, appropriate and consistent updates on the market, where things are trending. So we don't, uh, a risk manager, one of our clients would never be in a position where they underestimated the, the pricing or market dynamics where they had issues with their budgeting. But beyond that, uh, we are acutely aware of the, the risk where uh, carriers are getting hit with the claims and what we need to do to diffuse those concerns and better position our clients. So how do we do that? I think what uh, we pride ourselves on is that partnership and collaboration, not only with the risk management, but um, the chief information security officers, the information security teams at our clients, we're really focused on what may differentiate us is our knowledge of not only where carriers are getting hit with claims, or just our knowledge of information security. And to be able to have those constructive, informative conversations and develop that partnership and trust uh, with chief information security officers so we can go directly to these experts and really get some more detailed and insightful information than what a carrier is accustomed to just receiving on uh, a ransomware supplemental application or just a generic application and really crafting an addendum that really does uh, objectively demonstrate the maturity of one of our clients information security programs and it's that partnership with the, the marketplace and, the, and the, the relationships we have with the key underwriters at the, the these cyber insurance companies will really make a difference this year because when we're asking these underwriters in a challenging market to make some exceptions to price something differently than what their rating model or what their management is expecting. They need to be able to explain why they did that or what the underwriting justification was to make that exception for Alliant. And we, we enable these underwriters to really document their files with um, objective information that shows, okay, here's why we quoted uh, this client so differently for Alliant. Here's why we agreed to these coverage advancements that we're not really, we're not given the authority to, or we're supposed to be pushing for more rate. Here's why we made that decision, you know, to their management and where, where they feel comfortable 
agreeing to the, the concessions or the aggressive pricing or whatever it may be that we're trying to drive for our client. And I think that's all goes into what is really going to differentiate us in, in the coming year and our approach that's going to help our clients. That's really helpful, I think, for a lot of clients to understand how to attack this market, right? It seems as though every um, insurance company, whether it is a cyber a specialist or a DNO insurer or any other type of property and casualty insurer, is trying to develop their plan for how they're going to, um, you know, write either a profitable business or achieve more rate in this marketplace. So having a prepared plan, as John and Bobby talked about, is is tremendous. I know I always learn a lot when we talk about these types of cyber issues, and having that ready to take to the market is is important. And on the flip side, right, no one wants to be caught shorthanded when they actually have a claim or an incident or a cyber event. So maybe pivoting to David and Steve, what can insureds and clients do now to, sure, differentiate themselves from the underwriters and from their other peers, that the submissions that they're seeing, but what can they do to ready themselves for, for an event itself? Yeah, I'll, I'll start first because I, I, I want to highlight comments from Bobby, John, and David on kind of the pre-claim and post-claim collaboration that, that they were highlighting in the relationship building with the client and, you know, stakeholders within firms and then stakeholders at carriers. I mean, those relationships make a difference. Again, pre-claim and certainly post-claim when we have that level of collaboration that John and Bobby and David have been talking about. I'll let David, you know, elaborate a little more on that. Thanks, Steve. I'm, there's a multitude of things that companies should be doing to um, prepare themselves to thwart an attack and also to shore up relationships with vendors that can help them respond to an incident. In, if there's one takeaway that I could uh, I'll leave for our listeners today, it's to back up your data. It is so important to have multiple backups. In fact, at least one of them should actually be offline, off the network, so that it is segmented and it is not vulnerable to an attack. But apart from that, once uh, an incident has been discovered, at that point, it's important to engage the vendors who can assist you. Uh, each of the insurers with whom we place business are going to have preferred consultants, threat consultants that they work with. Some are rigid in terms of requiring that you use their panel. Some are more flexible. But having that conversation with your underwriters and claims adjusters in advance makes the conversation that much easier when the event occurs. And you're going to want to engage them, put the carrier on notice, and make sure that any expenditures that you are undertaking are uh, incurred with the consent of your insurer in emergency situations that can sometimes be difficult to orchestrate, which is one of the reasons that you want to make sure that the vendors that you engage are pre-approved. And these vendors can assist not only with assessing the threat and trying to identify the modus operandi, if you will, of the threat actor, but also determining whether or not there's a decryption key available such that maybe you don't need to pay the ransom. Because in fact, you know, the FBI or some other law enforcement agency is familiar with this threat actor and you can terminate the threat without having to capitulate to their demands. There's a lot of variables involved here and the time to have those discussions uh, with your insurers is before an incident takes place, not when you're in the throes of having to respond. I've been on both both sides of those types of claims where we 
we've negotiated the vendors prior to uh, uh, any kind of incident, whether it's ransomware or other. So we had those steps in place so that when an attack did occur, everything was lined up accordingly and, and there was no issues with the carriers. On the flip side, we've seen it where clients have come to us after the fact and have wanted to, oh, well, we, we work with this firm. You know, we want to use them for, for, for this event. And the carriers say, well, look, you can't ask for us at the time of, of the event. And this needs to be negotiated prior. Um, so we need to do a good job of making sure our clients are aware of these provisions and the policy to make sure that, hey, if there's anyone you're working with currently, we need to get them approved beforehand. Uh, so that's really important, uh, you know, on the brokerage side to make sure that those conversations are had, you know, before the policy is even put into place. Yeah, no, thanks for that, Bobby. I, I was going to say, you know, one of the first things that we do uh, with a client that we pick up new or, or or buying cyber for the first time is making sure that um, their incident response plan is aligned with uh, the various sort of requirements under the policy. The, the reality of it is, if you find yourself in a, in a, in a breach or a ransomware event, um, the first call that you're going to make is not going to be to us. <laughs> it's it's not going to be to, uh, you know, your insurance carrier. Um, it's going to be to that that breach coach or that party that you have confidence in who's going to help you navigate that situation. I mean, as we all know, these events happen. They're very time sensitive and responding in a quick and orderly manner is is extremely important. That is not the time to figure out who the right vendor is or who the right breach coach is or who the right forensics firm is. Um, it's really important that those decisions uh, are being made well, well in advance. And, you know, from a, from just a pure governance perspective, uh, and I know Ryan has, has seen this and, and certainly Steve, you, you've seen this as well. I mean, cyber responsiveness, cyber um, preparedness, um, incident response is becoming part of the governance process. There's not a single board or, or senior executive at any major public or privately traded company um, who is not focusing on this intently at every board meeting each quarter. No, that's right, Steve. And, and Steve, I want to get your thoughts on this as well. But every public company has that as a risk factor now. Every fund board uh, meeting has a cyber cybersecurity committee that, that walks through these types of issues. It doesn't matter what type of company. That's the world that we live in today. And addressing these types of issues is critical because it is. It now falls within the fiduciary duty of a director and officer and and ensuring that those conversations take place has now also filtered into our conversations around the renewals of uh, directors and officers liability insurance so you know the the presence of this type of uh, of risk is something that we'll continue to see for years to come yeah it com completely agree Brian right it's become big issue and you know even the SEC has weighed in on this issue numerous times um that you know cybersecurity and the disclosure and reporting on cyber exposures is a critically important disclosure, which you know obviously gets a lot of attention of the board because they take those responsibilities very seriously. That actually touches on you know something else that I wanted to say, which is that um, a ransomware attack presents uh, a, a, a risk on a number of levels, right? It's an operational risk. It obviously has a financial component, but it also presents reputational risk to a company in terms of how it safeguards the privacy of information with which it's been entrusted by customers, by employees, by donors, by vendors, but also reputationally how it responds to an incident. You know, investors are looking at that. What kind of security did you have in place? Did you make any material misrepresentations or omissions in 
uh, your public filings with respect to what measures that you had in place. And also, companies have an obligation now to exercise due diligence to make sure that they don't make payments to a sanctioned entity. Uh, the U.S. Department of Treasury has weighed in on that as well, and it's incumbent upon insurers and policyholders to have safeguards in place to address that. And again, that's something that threat consultants can help with. So again, it's a multifaceted risk that companies have to contend with, but this is where as a service provider, uh, we as a firm can assist our clients in, in, in lending them our experience, our knowledge about how to handle these incidents and also to put them in touch uh, with the right professionals to be able to respond. David, I think that's a perfect way to wrap up this conversation. Uh, we and all of our clients are thrilled to have you as resources um, together with us as we go into the year 2021. Uh, many of us would not have expected that cyber risk would have taken on a new a new life of its own essentially during 2020. And we look forward to tackling this risk and many other issues together as our clients seek to find a more rewarding way to manage risk into 2021. Uh, we look forward to having you join us on our next podcast uh, for the Alliant Financial Institutions Group. And in the meantime, please check out our website at www.alliant.com. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.